welcome to the nerd party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop. Punch it. Punch that shit. Let's punch it. Welcome to episode five of Punch It. I am your co-host, Tristan Riddell. And alongside you, punching it also, is Charlene Schmidt. Today, we are talking about some fun stuff. But first, before we get into the topic at hand, I want to give a big thank you to our listeners because we had a great launch. We've been able to see the numbers since we launched. And we had an episode with, uh, we had one episode post-launch so far. And uh, the numbers are good. Uh, the response is good. We're getting a lot of tweets. We're getting a lot of emails, a lot of Facebook messages. So we thank you guys so much for following us from Truck.fm to the Nerd Party. And we ask that you don't stop there, that you uh, that you actually keep telling your friends about us. Tell them to go to thenerdparty.com slash punch it. There they can check out all of our episodes. And, and... Since so many of you have emailed us and contacted us and told us that you like the show or that you're listening to the show, if you could, please go to our iTunes page, go to thenerdparty.com, click on available on iTunes, and from there you can find all of our shows on iTunes. And if you give Punch It a review, if you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show, but please give us any review that you think is worthy of our show. It's true. We want good, honest feedback from everybody. We read all of the reviews. But we love to give a little bit of love to the ones who really, really enjoy us and give us five stars. And that's why we read those on the show. Absolutely. So please do that. Tell your friends. Keep downloading. Keep subscribing. And also find out what else is available on the network at thenerdparty.com. Well, today's episode, today's punch it, is on the mockumentary sitcom The Office. The American version. We should specify Yes, the bloody colonial version. <laughs> yes, we are talking about the American version of The Office, which started off very much in line with what happened on the British version of The Office. And for those of you who have not seen either version of The Office, I highly recommend both because I've watched both. Now, Tristan, have you watched the British version? I know you've watched the American version. That's why we're talking about it today. I've only seen a handful of episodes, maybe one or two of the British office. It was too awkward for me. Like I couldn't handle it. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 this might potentially put a fork in a relationship. I'm halfway kidding, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm very surprised because as someone who appreciates the office so much, like I do, how did you not give the British office a chance? That's the thing is that, I didn't like the first season of the American Office, and there, I, I the second season I kind I kind of like, and that's the thing is that because w- once I once I watched the first season I didn't like it. I watched parts of the second season didn't like it, and then when I went to the British version and saw that it was pretty much the same thing in the same style. Yes, I was like, oh, this isn't for me. But then, you know, I started watching more of the American Office, and I was like, okay, this is different. I like this. Okay, I highly recommend you try the British version of The Office again. Go in with the understanding that there are going to be some similarities because, yes, the American version of The Office basically ripped off 
the British version until about the second season. And then the parallels start to divide. You go past that, eventually each version of the show has a life of its own. And honestly, the British version took a little bit of time for me to grow on it because I did see the American version first. So that was that was my office. You know how sort of like Doctor Who fans say, whoever you see as the doctor yeah. in the first episode you watch, that's your doctor. Well, the American office was my office. However, especially the more that I've watched the British version of The Office, the more that it has grown on me and how brilliant it is. And I appreciate British TV so much. I really want to watch a lot more of it. It's, I would say, a much more nuanced craft than uh, what we do with American sitcoms. But all of that said, we are here to talk the American version of The Office because it's a show that we both love. It went on for nine seasons, arguably maybe a little too long, but we'll discuss that. (laughs) (laughs) That's another difference is uh, the British version had two seasons and then a special. That was it. They knew when to stop. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we have one of the most beloved modern sitcoms, I think, on the docket for Punch It today. So we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about maybe where the show jumped the shark in terms of its writing. Because I would argue right off the bat, yes, it did jump the shark and it did so many times. Yeah, it's uh, this show. I was actually, you know what? I, I want to, before we get into the ebb and flows and the ups and downs, I, I'd love to find out the first time that you watched it. Where, where were you? What were you doing? How did you get exposed to it? Great. We should always start with this, by the way. <laughs> this is a great idea. Thank you. I first started watching The Office actually in 2009. I was very behind the curve. I had heard for years just how great this show was. You need to watch it. You need to watch it. You need to watch it. Finally, one day I sat down and TBS had already started doing its endless series of reruns, which happened for many years during the office's run. And so I just started sitting down and watched it and finally realized what this brilliant thing was that everybody was raving about. And yeah, it was terrific. And I totally fell in love with Jim and Pam. And so I started catching up. I started watching all of the reruns as well as what was airing concurrently on NBC and I followed it until the very bitter end. It's like once I latched on, I could not go. And that's what happens with shows that I love. I just, I have to watch everything. It's like a sense of completion. So how about you? Well, the thing with me is that the first time I saw it was, uh, I lived in Hollywood for a short stint of time. I worked and lived in Hollywood for a little bit. And I was, uh, I lived with a whole bunch of guys and we had nothing to do. We had no money. And so instead of enjoying the uh, the nice Los Angeles sun, we uh, decided to somebody ha- got a hold of the office DVDs. Nice. And this was in 2007. This was in late 2007. And so we just binge watched season one and I think the first half of season two. And I caught myself hiding my face behind a pillow because I was getting so embarrassed by Michael Scott. yes this happens and that's the thing with me is that like i get embarrassed for people on screen Mm -hmm. and so whenever there is embarrassment in a tv show i can't handle it that's why i don't like the british version because so much of it is embarrassing for these characters and Mm -hmm. 
But then the same goes for Michael Scott as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm absolutely with you there. Sometimes when we're watching The Office, because it's one of those shows that we watch right before bed. Oh, yeah. We've seen it so many times we can fall asleep to it. If I'm actually actively watching it and Michael does something awkward, I'm just like, oh, dude. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same exact way. I'm feeling that way. And But the thing is, is that the girl, my wife, this is one of her favorite shows of all time. Uh-huh. And she has watched it over and over and over again. And she was the same way that you are, where she would put it on before bed. She would watch, like, a disc at night just to relax, just to calm down and, like, fall asleep to it. Mm-hmm. And she'd wake up and you'd see the fuzz on the TV, you know, and <laughs> And so she, because she was so in love with it, when we started dating and when we were engaged and of course, when we got married, she started ex- exposing to it, me to it more and more. And so I started seeing it past season two where like, you know, the second half of season two on to season three and season four. And I started falling in love with these characters. I started getting invested in, in Jim and Pam, you know, like I started right. sympathizing with Toby, you know, I, I started, I started <laughs> being fascinated with Dwight, you know, like I started falling in love with these characters and, it was funny because my least favorite character for the entire run was Michael Scott. And <laughs> and of course, he's the star of the show. And he's the star of the show. But I was able to, you know, like these other people were so good that I was I was fine with it. But then, you know, like when season seven was coming around, I was like, okay, you know, once Michael Scott's gone, you know, maybe it'll become the show that I really want it to be. And that was not the case. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting that you had that perspective in the first place because you disliked Michael Scott that much Mm -hmm. that you thought the show would actually improve upon his leaving and turning into something that you might actually like better. I think everybody else, (laughs) pardon me for saying so, was like, oh, Steve Carell's going to leave? Are you kidding me? This show is going to go down the tubes right away. But I think we would have both agree that, yes, it did. Yes, absolutely. That, that's the thing is that I was 100% wrong. And then once I realized that, like once we started watching season eight together and we stopped, like we did not finish season eight during this first run. Mm-hmm. We stopped while it was on the air and we went back and watched the seasons again. And I started to realize what was missing from season eight and season nine, where I started understanding why the show worked. And what was good about Michael Scott. So I started going back and seeing him in a very different light. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, really, somebody like Steve Carell and a character so central to how that office dynamic worked, you remove that. And yeah, I can see why the show went completely downhill. I am not a fan of season eight whatsoever. I'll just put that out right now. I had high hopes at the end of season seven because Michael Scott did not leave in the finale. They had a few episodes after that where things were kind of in flux. And they, I think Will Ferrell played a character who was really interesting. Like he was neurotic too, but in a sort of different way than Michael Scott. And I thought, oh, okay, they're going to play that angle. Well, that could be interesting. Let's see what happens. But then they completely dropped the ball when they were doing this weird experiment with Robert California. Okay, I want to talk about Robert California. Should we do that now? Uh, yes, let's go ahead and do that now because okay, let's let's talk about this guy because he's a real screwball. I think we're both in agreement that we we like the show mainly from season two on up until season seven, and then that's like that when Michael Scott left. That's kind of when it started to go downhill. I think we're both in agreement there. Yes, yes. We can definitely go back and get some more nuanced conversation, but uh, Robert California. Here's the thing. 
<laughs> I love James Spader. Oh, me too. He was brilliant. Yes, I think he was fantastic. And the introduction of Robert California was one of the greatest character introductions that I've ever seen in a sitcom. Agreed. And if they did that, like if they if that's what they did with his character for his entire stint on the show, it would have been good. But they took him in very weird and awkward situations and directions, and it just didn't work. But what I wanted to do, since this is a writing podcast, I wanted to to read his introduction real quick, just the first part. Do it, please. It, it is so good. Here we go. Okay, I'm getting into my Robert California space. Here we go. Get in character. All right, all right. You see, I sit across from a man. I see his face. I see his eyes. Now, does it matter if he wants a hundred dollars of paper or a hundred million dollars of deep sea drilling equipment? Don't be a fool. He wants respect. He wants love. He wants to be younger. He wants to be attractive. There is no such thing as a product. Don't ever think there is. There is only sex. Everything is sex. You understand that what I'm telling you is a universal truth, Toby. (laughs) And it's like, he's right. You're not going to tell him he's wrong. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's just like, I love that Toby and Gabe and Jim are just so enamored by Robert that he's just like, he's like, will you be heard? Will you have a voice? Will I steamroll over you? Do you feel heard right now, Jim? Do you have a voice right now? You can answer me. And then Jim just like, (laughs) slowly goes, yes. And he's like, that was your choice, not mine. The fallacy is that it is up to the steamroller. It is up to the object, whether it will be flattened or not. And I can tell from that small interaction we've had already, you won't be flattened by anybody. Do you agree with me, Jim? (laughs) It's just, he's like, yes, you do. That's such a powerful and quirky character. You just wonder, like, is he a former cult leader? How is he so smooth about this? Oh, that's the thing. Like, if you said that, like, oh, in the 70s or in the 80s, James, like, Robert California led a cult, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I get that. Yeah, Like, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Okay, I know exactly where you're coming from now. Because, yeah, that's sort of just, he just had, like, that come to Jesus moment with Jim right there mm-hmm. in that piece of dialogue. And, yeah, I think we were all enamored with him at that point. But then that was so good that the writers just could not keep up with him. And I absolutely agree with what you said earlier. They took him to a weird place, a place that made no sense. And then once he left, it was just like, thank God. Yeah. I'm so glad we're done with him. I think the moment when I realized that I was done with Robert California was the wrestling scene. Oh, God. I just remembered that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The flashbacks. For those of you who haven't seen it, don't. For those of you who have seen it, you understand what we're talking about. Right. I don't really want to talk about it. Yeah, it wasn't entertaining. It was weird. It wasn't funny. It wasn't interesting. No. It was forced. It was shoehorned. And this character... Yes. This character is a very elegant and mysterious and weird character, but this kind of debased him. This debased the character. Big time. Big time. I feel like they had a really great idea, and maybe they should have just kept it with the interview. Yeah. Made him so mysterious. We would have just absolutely loved this guy and written a lot of fanfic about him, maybe. But <laughs> what the actual execution of keeping him on the show was a really bad idea because of how it turned out. I mean, of course I'm saying that in hindsight. But if I were in that writer's room with a character that powerful like that, 
I would have just been like, no, yeah, we should not go there. Let's leave him be. We have a good thing, but we cannot exploit this any further. One thing that I'd love to ask you about is, since this is a writing podcast, what, how would you characterize the writing of The Office? Do you think it changes from season to season? Do you think it's stronger in one season over the other? Or do you think it's characteristically consistent as the years go on? Ooh, okay. There's definitely some transitions that happen over time. I would say uh, maybe the first four seasons are much more of the mockumentary type of format they were going for, where it feels a little more real. And then as the seasons wear on, though, it starts to feel a little more sitcom-y. The characters are starting to, to do more outrageous things. They're doing more stunts. There's more physical comedy. And it's a little more of the boom ching type of dialogue. That's where I see it going. And so when we talk later about whether the show jumped the shark or not, there's many reasons why I think it did not just start with the departure of Michael Scott. But how about you? How do you see The Office as a whole and if you see transitions in the writing, where? I think I see a definite transition in the writing from season two on. I feel like season two, how do I put this? Like, uh, I think season two through five are very consistent, specifically season three. Like, I feel like season two emerged from what season one was trying to be and mm -hmm. made itself what it is in the latter half of season two. But season three was an incredibly solid season. So I'd say three, four, and five are probably the best written seasons, in my opinion. Season six is good, mm -hmm. but it starts to dip down in that quality that you were talking about where things didn't really matter as much in season six like they did season three through five. Mm -hmm. And then season seven, I don't, I don't know how to describe season seven, but it was uh, it at least had that journey of Michael Scott towards the end which I appreciated. Yeah. And then season eight and nine, like season eight was just abysmal. And then they <laughs> kind of regained some of that goodwill back in season nine, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that assessment. I would say that seasons one through five, they're very, they're pretty consistently good. Season five is starting to be the tipping point where season six still has some really good gems, but the highs are still pretty high, but it reaches some newer lows. And then season seven... Leading up to the departure of Michael Scott is really good. Season eight is just absolutely uh, abysmal. Season nine, I feel, is sort of like a redux of season eight. What didn't work in season eight, they got it right in season nine. And then they did a really nice job of building up to the finale. Yeah, they, they absolutely did. And I just realized that even though I was knocking season six, uh, one of my favorite episodes is in season six, and that's Niagara. Oh, the wedding. The wedding. I absolutely love the wedding in Niagara. And <laughs> Yeah, they did that right. Yeah, and also um, Murder was incredibly funny. Oh, you liked that? Yeah, where they did the murder mystery role-playing game. Oh, that is one of my least favorites. I just got so bored with it. Think, think about the end of the episode where they all have like finger guns on, it, on, on each other. And Pam's yeah. like, I'm not going down for this. It's I don't know why people love this episode so much. I've got to disagree with you. It's just, I, I, I don't know. It, it felt kind of goofy. Sorry. Okay. No, I, I, you're, not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It is very goofy. But here's the thing. One of my other favorite episodes of all time was also in season six. So maybe I misspoke about season six. Maybe I, but because you have the two episodes of The Delivery, 
Of course, the birth, yes. So you have the wedding in Niagara, you have the the birth and delivery in the delivery, and it's just these two episodes are so fantastic. But I think the thing is, outside of that, I didn't really like any of the episodes in season six. Yeah, there's just some that really are not so great. And you've got the whole thing, too, where you've got Saber buying out Dunder Mifflin, right. which is both, I feel, kind of good and bad. I loved Kathy Bates' character. Eh. She was fantastic. I loved her, eh. but I was really not a fan of Gabe from the beginning. And also, season six is where we just start to see a little more of Andy Bernard. I'm going to say right now that Andy Bernard is not my favorite character whatsoever. I don't know if it's a thing where, like, I just don't like Ed Helms. Maybe it's his method of acting or if it's just the characters that he plays. But I'm sorry. I'm not a fan. I don't get it. He was the worst thing that happened to The Office. (laughs) So when they started focusing more on his character, they really had a hard time keeping my attention just because I don't want Andy Bernard, especially in charge. Ew. If it wasn't for the Hangover trilogy doing so well, I don't think we would have had them focus on Andy as much. I really, I really don't think so. You're probably right. Just because Ed Helms was having a lot of success, but I'm sorry, Andy was not up for that task. He should have stayed a minor character. Yeah. Like Ed Helms might be um, a great actor outside of the office, but Andy, the character, is so horrible when he's focused on. Like he's fun for the quick quips and mm-hmm. the one-liners and the that awkward humor that's just kind of out of nowhere like the big tuna stuff that's fine that's great that's mm-hmm. all that he should have been that we never should have devoted half a season to his character yes and i feel that was a huge failing it just it wasn't interesting it wasn't funny there was all that back and forth with whether he and aaron were together or not and then he like disappeared because he was i don't know afraid of doing his job so he went on a boat for a few months. That's so weird. So weird. Okay. It was just dumb. Well, how about this? How would how would you punch it up? What would you do differently for season eight and season nine? How would you punch it? Okay. So we're going to go with the fact that Michael Scott is gone. Steve Carell yes. has left the show. Gone. No Robert California. Okay. None. Maybe I would have had an outside hire where we have to create a struggle for Dwight to regain the position. Because if you remember, he fired a gun in the office and was demoted. As soon as he had the power, he lost it, basically, and lost favor with the management. And so Dwight was always meant to take over the office as soon as Michael Scott was gone. And so Mm -hmm. we need to see him struggle with that, probably in a different and new way. But yeah, Andy is not going to be in charge at all in my show. He's going to remain a minor character. And I don't know if you want to create a dynamic with maybe somebody who is there or somebody new. That just occurred to me. Maybe you want to see Stanley take a step up. And we learn more about Stanley because he's been a minor character throughout the whole series. Uh, And he's close to retirement. This could be his little swan song going out on top or something like that. But then... I do see why they tried to bring in a new character because adding somebody new to the dynamic always changes things up a little bit. But I feel like when they already did that with Aaron, uh, don't we have enough people on the show already, for one thing? Yeah. But then also Aaron's character 
it was great getting to know her, but at first I was really not sure about her. I was really slow to warm on Aaron. Like they took some time to figure her out, like her quirkiness. And so in a way, I sort of wish they would have just kind of kept it with the people that they had rather than this weird merry-go-round of bosses. How about you? That was always really awkward for me too, where it's just, like you said, this weird merry-go-round of bosses where it's just like, Find a direction and go with it. Uh-huh. And I think people, I think the production team was scared of filling Michael Scott's shoes. And yeah. I feel like if you just kept it with the people that you had, there was already so many goddamn characters. If you just kept it with the characters that you had, put Dwight in charge, but he doesn't have to be a Michael Scott. He doesn't have to be the protagonist of the show. Continue to focus on Jim and Dwight and Pam you know, like have that be your big three, like it, o- it always has been, except instead of having your big four with Michael Scott at the head, you now have diversified big three. And so just keep that running because you don't need Andy to step in and be a Michael Scott and be awkward and weird. And then, you know, he goes off and does movies. And so you have to write him off the show. It's just, they shot themselves in the foot by choosing Andy because Ed Helms went off and did movies. And Mm-hmm. That was the very reason why they chose to focus on him because he was popular and did movies. But then when you do that, you take the risk of having someone who is popular and does movies actually go off and make movies. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Imagine that. How weird. Imagine that. So what I would do, what I would do to punch it, and this would never happen in a million years. <laughs> it's okay. We're not real actual writers. We can do whatever <laughs> we want. <laughs> what I would do is I would finish was season seven like that's it that's the end ideally that's what i would have done too but what i would have done this is when i would have gone the british route and i would have done a mini series over a prolonged amount of time where you have a 90 minute episode four times a year Ooh. and it was a tv special like you have four of those throughout the year and that's your last season where they're like mini movies and they're focused on what happens is, is that at the end of season seven, Michael Scott leaves. And that is when the crew, the documentary crew decides to finish. Mm-hmm. And so they're done. Like they leave when Michael Scott leaves. And so those mini movies, kind of those 90 minute movies, kind of like Sherlock, they're about the fallout of the documentary being done. And so it's about them adjusting to their lives being like eight years of their seven years of their lives being exposed on TV mm-hmm. on wherever. And so these episodes are all about them trying to find some sort of normalcy. And some of them stay at the office. Some of them move on and we're playing catch up with them. So it's basically like the last episode of season nine, but way more expanded and way more emphasis spent with these characters. Yeah, I like that. And I was just about to say, so what you would do is take the best of season nine and then put it out over time. Because I do love how they finally did release the documentary after all these years of footage, put it into something and then, you know, had the characters talk about their experience from that perspective. So yeah, that would be very cool. And also, yeah, there is a parallel with the original British office in that sense because they wrapped up the filming and then they reunited for that special right? and figured out what was happening with their lives. And it made absolute sense that, say, uh, Jim and Pam moved away and right. uh, stuff like that. And, and, of course, then Michael shows up for the wedding of Angela and Dwight, that sort of thing. 
we could keep all of that, keep all the good stuff and take out some of the not so good stuff and keep the show kind of like really powerful. Yeah, like get rid of season eight. Entirely, please, wholesale. <laughs> yeah, entirely. And then trim season nine down to the bare bones, mainly focusing on the last episode and make the last episode four mini movies that you release over the year. And so like think about the advertising possibilities and the 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 pump uh, the pump up, you know, like possibilities of these four movies. It's just like, okay, we're going in a different direction. You had seven years of The Office, 22 minutes, you know, an episode, 26 episodes a year. Now we're giving you 90 minute movies that we're releasing throughout the year. You better make sure that you're, you know, you're tuned in and this is going to happen because this is the final journey and blah, 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 blah. Like it becomes an event. Exactly. Yes. That's what was going through my mind too. It becomes a huge event and fans can have watching parties, celebrate it, get all excited and then do it over the course of a year. So you're doing it about four times a year. And that last year, like, it's a huge celebration of this show's legacy, and it's a beautiful thing. Instead of wearing it down and beating it down until yes. finally you're just, in a way, just so happy that it's finally over. <laughs> because as good as the end of season nine was, I was like, okay, thank God they went on a high note because I was genuinely worried. <sighs> okay, good work. The show is over now. Let's move on. Yeah. Of course, the big problem is, is that, American TV just does not do this sort of thing. No. That's unfortunate. And I also have to point out that chances are that the TV writers, once they knew Steve Carell was leaving, they had probably no idea what they were going to do when he was gone. I like, I genuinely feel like they had no idea. Even with a little bit of time to prepare, they, they had a lot of ideas. Some they executed and they all failed. <laughs> Yeah. There just wasn't anything really good there. And so I don't know. There were a lot of rumors about this. I have no idea if there was truth to this or not, but maybe there was some discussion of ending the show after seven seasons, but then they did come out with, no, we're going to keep going. Looking back now, do you think that they should have ended it with Steve Carell's departure? Oh, 100%. Yeah, they absolutely should have ended it at season seven with Steve Carell's departure. Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe if they knew they were going to end it, like if if season seven, like if the beginning of season seven happened, mm -hmm. and the writers and the production company and NBC, they were just like, okay, this is the last season we're gonna do. Steve Carell is leaving, so we're gonna end it. If they knew that was gonna be the case, then I feel like we could have had an even better season seven because I like season seven, but it could have been even better. And we could have had that last episode of season nine just take place in season seven, knowing that it was going to be their last season. Sure, sure. So I feel like there wouldn't have been any bad feelings. There would have been no dip in quality. It would have been no like, oh my God, season eight happened. Thank goodness, like the latter half of season nine, you know, stepped it up. Everybody would have gone, yes, it's the right time. It feels right. Because yeah. it makes me think of Home Improvement with Tim Allen where I can't remember how many seasons they had. They, it might have been seven. I might be wrong. No, I think that's right. Is it? Okay. That sounds right. They had se seven seasons and they offered him, they told Tim Allen, they said, we will give you more money than God if you do season eight. And Tim Allen said, no, if we do a season eight, we're going to hurt the quality of the show. It won't be as good as the previous season. So we're going to be done. This is it. This is it. And he had the power to do that. He had the power to say no. And... 
I feel like that should have happened with the office. Like that should have happened with so many shows. But the thing is, the office was a powerhouse of advertising revenue. Yeah. And NBC was not going to let that go. No, absolutely not. Plus, they did have star power aside from Steve Carell. They had Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski, who had risen high up at this point. Mm -hmm. You did have Ed Helms. Rain Wilson was a name a lot of people knew by this time. And so they had kind of like an all-star cast. Yeah. And things were going good enough. They thought, hey, we're going to milk it for all it's worth. That's what American TV does. It is shameful, though, because I do wish this show would have gone out on top. In a way, they did, but they had to stumble toward the finish line just a little bit. Yeah. Sort of like when Michael ran the marathon, you know? <laughs> he, he eats all the fettuccine, gets cramps, he crosses the finish line, but then he has to throw up. <laughs> so funny. So it was sort of like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So one thing I want to know from you is, is there a specific point where the office jumped the shark? Was it with Michael Scott leaving? Yeah, Absolutely. Was it? Okay, because I feel it actually happened earlier. Like, Michael Scott leaving the show was the absolute, like, I felt like that was the nail in the coffin. But I think it goes back a little earlier than that, even. Okay, where? Okay, season five. What? The episode. I know, I know. I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for this, but let me explain myself. The episode Golden Ticket. The reason why is because this is when I feel the show starts to take that sitcom-y, gimmicky, flashiness sort of turn in its characterization and its writing. It's Michael being even... It's like Michael punched up. <laughs> it's Michael on steroids. It's Michael being a performer rather than just Michael being awkward Michael. Now, that said, Golden Ticket is still a fun and entertaining episode, but shortly after that... Then we have the thing where Michael quits, starts the Michael Scott Paper Company, and you've got Dream Team and the whole thing with the buyout. And I am not interested at all in that sort of cycle because ultimately it just makes things back to where they were. I was not that exciting or I was not that excited about it. Now, I did like the season five finale, Company Picnic. That was very cool. And then, of course, season six goes on with some highs and some lows. But I feel like that was starting to be the time when the characters started being more sitcomish and a little less real. I can't argue with your logic about that because I think you're right about Golden Ticket becoming a little sitcommy. And then when we get to New Boss in two weeks and Dream Team and Michael Scott Paper Company, we get to that storyline. Mm -hmm. It's very different. It's very different from the rest of the show. It's it's surprising that they went in that direction. Thing is, though, I do not think that's when they jump the shark. I don't think, because with when you jump the shark, it is a declaration of dip. It is, this is the dip. It's not so much, it's not so much like, oh, this is when things start to go downhill. It's a little bit more of an announcement of, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that. And then nothing is the same after that. Now, the Michael Scott Paper Company storyline. I can't argue with you that it's weird. It is. But I appreciated it because it was different. It was risky. And they took that risk, even if it didn't completely pay off. And even if they ended up exactly where they were when they started, I thought it was a nice journey because it showed us a very confident side of Michael Scott. 
I'm thinking about that scene with him and David Wallace when he says, he said, he's like, all I have to do is come up with a new name. I don't have to outlast this company. I just have to outlast you. And that's true. That's true. I love that Michael Scott. I love confident and good businessman, Michael Scott. And so we got to see that and we got to see Pam elevated to a much better position. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing I really did like about that whole dynamic was Pam standing up for herself and definitely getting a lot more confidence herself Mm -hmm. and showing the dynamic also between her and Michael of when he's down, she rises up. When she's down, he rises up and they kind of balance each other out. That's what has always worked with those two characters and that really shown with this whole thing. So it's not all bad. And actually, the first time that I watched this storyline, I thought it was okay. But the more that I've watched it, the more I've just thought, eh, really, guys? This is kind of, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to say, like, if I was going to say, like, if I didn't say Michael Scott leaving, you know, like, if if Mm -hmm. if I had to pick something else, it would probably be Saber. Okay, why Saber? I didn't like Kathy Bates' character. I didn't like her at all. Tell me more about that, because I thought she was great. I've already said as much. Why don't you like her? I don't know how to describe it. She felt wrong for this universe. Really? Yeah, I felt like she was an okay character and definitely an okay actress. It was like, right character, right actress, wrong show. Hmm. Okay, keep going. That's kind of how I feel. And with Saber, it was just... It was this weird interference from another company. You get a new CEO, you get Gabe, you get this, um, the episode New Leads with, you know, like a Saber's policy on sale is king, kind of regresses Jim Mm -hmm. back to young Jim. And we've spent years and years and years trying to get him out of this apathetic, goofy faced character who doesn't have any direction, doesn't care about his career. And he finally gets out of that. We see him, you know, have goals and be career driven. And then he gets back to being a salesman. And then he realizes that there's a cap on how much he can earn. And so he just kind of goes back to doing antics and not progressing and not moving forward. And it's not until later on in the show when he gets that sports job, when he gets career focused again. And that was new drama. And so I'd have to say if it wasn't Michael Scott leaving, if I, have, if I had to pick something else, it would definitely be Saber because I didn't like Kathy Bates. I, I thought it was weird storylines involving her and then the regression of Jim. Okay, that makes some sense. I don't fully agree with you, but I understand your viewpoint and see where it's coming from. And I want to amend a little bit of what I said where maybe Golden Ticket was not where it jumped the shark, but I start to feel that maybe there's some nickel and dime things happening to this show that eventually lead up to it jumping the shark. For one thing... The whole thing where, like, Michael and Jim are co-managers for a while in season six. Awful. Absolutely awful. Now, I like some of that. I liked some of that dynamic. Like, with the, uh, I think, wasn't that the, what was that episode when we find out that Michael Scott is sleeping with Pam's mom? Oh, that's, I think, not long after that. And that whole storyline, I have really mixed feelings about that because I love how it tortures Pam, but then they like resolve it so quickly because then Michael breaks up with Pam's mom and it's like, well, what did you even go through that for then? That I understand. It did wrap up pretty quickly, 
But you have to admit, that's a hysterical episode. I mean, well, yeah. But the thing was, is like they had a pretty interesting, weird, awful dynamic going. And then just the moment they were getting it going, they wrapped it up and made it go away. I feel like they actually should have maybe kept that going just a little bit longer. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that one. But then, of course, have them break up horribly and then end the same way with Pam slapping him and saying, don't ever date a member of my family again. Yes, and... <laughs> And like also like when I love it when Jim and and Scott are uh, in the break room and Jim totally doesn't believe him and then he starts describing things and like he says what car she drives and he just goes oh crap and but they bleep it out yes and then he's like he's like no there's it's really great reasons why I do this because it's convenient like she's on my way home and, he, and then Jim just loses it and goes take a new way home man exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that stuff is really good. And then later on season six, there's more nickel and diming. Like he has the whole relationship with Donna, who is married to another guy and she's cheating on her husband with Michael, that whole weird thing. And then uh, thank God they got over that and then eventually brought Holly back because those two definitely were meant to be together. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're both such dorks. They <laughs> they're meant to be. But like the whole thing with Donna, I did not enjoy it. And then it just, yeah, it becomes very demonstrative, like where I think it's where uh, maybe he's eating the breakup ice cream really aggressively. It's little things like that where it's just like, okay, this is not the show that I fell in love with anymore. It's all antics. Well, okay, for that, I understand. I can understand why you wouldn't quite like it, but I don't think you can really call that jumping the shark. No, what I'm saying is like it's weird depreciation, sort of like wear and tear on your car. Yes. And then maybe Michael Scott leaving is where... The engine has failed and you need to get a new one or something of that nature. I can see that. All right. So as we're wrapping up, we're rounding third. Would you say you have a favorite season or a favorite moment? What, how, would you, how would you categorize that? Yeah, I would say season two is my favorite because the Jim and Pam dynamic is just really starting to heat up and get intense. And I love watching that happen. Some of my favorite episodes are in season two. Like, I love the Dundies kicking off season two. That's a great freaking episode. Booze cruises on there. It's just got this nice, fun spirit that I really appreciate. I think season two is my favorite. How about you? I love that. Like, yeah. Like, and I feel God in this Chili's tonight. <laughs> Best Dundies ever. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, I love Drunk Pam. I think she's funny. Drunk Pam is awesome. Here's the thing. I like season four of The Office. Do tell. You've got Fun Run. You've got Launch Party. You've got Local Ad, Branch Wars. And my favorite episode of all time, out of every single Office episode, this is my favorite episode that I could watch once a week. And that's season four, episode 13, Dinner Party. <gasps> oh, yeah. That is such a good episode. That's probably in my top five. I am honestly not sure what my number one is, but that one's really up there. That is such a great episode. It is just like I've met some people who have said, oh, that's a horrible episode. And I go, we can't be friends because we haven't. <laughs> there's no taste that we have that is similar if you do not think that's a great episode because it is so well written, perfectly acted. Oh, it's so great. It is a perfect office episode, in my opinion. I have to agree. If you can't appreciate that, how can you appreciate The Office? That's like taking the dynamic of The Office, what The Office is all about, and then just putting it on steroids. Quintessential. Quintessential. Yeah. Fantastic. 
All right. Well, that is our episode on The Office. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Please, please write us and tell us what you think of The Office. What's your favorite episode? What's your favorite season? When do you think it jumped the shark? Do you think it jumped the shark at all? What you can do is go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the menu, and that's how you can email us. Shar, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at OhTheProfanity. And you can find me on Twitter as well at the insane Robin. You can find the show page at join nerd party. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party. And you can also go to lootcrate.com slash nerd party. And from there, you can sign up for a fantastic geek subscription service where you get $40 worth of material for less than 20. You go to lootcrate.com slash nerd party, enter in code nerd party at checkout. You'll save even more money off of that. We're talking pop funkos, t-shirts, comic books, action figures, all great geek stuff. And we want to give you guys a discount. Now, Shar, we have one other thing that we'd like to talk about before we sign off. Yes, we have something very exciting that we're going to start up on the Nerd Party website. And we talked about this way in episode one as an idea of something that we were going to do. And we're actually going to do it. And that is we are going to start a story prompt. And what we want you to do as our listeners is to go to the show page for this episode and keep writing the story. Now, the idea is everybody contributes one line at a time. So we'll start you off. The first person to chime in puts in a line, and then you just keep going from there after. We'll run it for a couple of weeks, see how it goes. And if it's really, if we like it, uh, we're going to read it on the show. Now, the subject is predictably probably Star Trek. It's going to be a Star Trek story. We'll make sure that we give you a Star Trek prompt And so I apologize for those of you who might not be Star Trek fans. I hope it'll still be user-friendly enough of a topic to where you can participate and join in the fun. Yes, uh, the opening line may sound like it's a Voyager-specific line, but it could be anything from Star Trek. And so what you'll need to do is you'll need to go to thenerdparty.com slash punch it and select episode five. Click on episode five, and from there, you will see a comment box And if you're logged into Facebook, you can comment from there. We can control which one's first and which one's last. And so write one line at a time. The opening line, and you'll see this when you go to thenerdparty.com slash punch it and select episode five. The opening line is, the turbo lift doors opened and Janeway stepped out. So there you have it, everybody. We cannot wait to see what you come up with. Keep it fun. Keep it lighthearted. Keep it interesting. Please keep it family-friendly, though. This is a family-friendly network. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. Remember to tell your friends. Remember to write us a review. And we cannot wait until next week where we get to punch it yet again. Bam! Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.